0: Well, hello. I'm back with Caitlin and Alan with The End of the Internet. But Caitlin first has information about the Hubble telescope.
1: I do have information about the Hubble. Uh, so Hubble is still going strong, and Ars Technica has an article written by someone we, we've previously mentioned on this podcast, Eric uh, Berger. And your Berger. article is not showing. It is not showing. Your uh, cat background is... Uh, Oh my gosh, that is correct. So my cat background. So for people that are just listening, I put a cat background on zoom. And I forgot that it, uh, it does something to uh, OBS studio, uh, which is how I'm sharing my browser. So if I go in here, I find OBS
0: studio very confusing.
1: Oh, there you. we go. Yeah. That should fix it. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. I mm-hmm. I was compelled to throw cats in my background for some reason today. Anyway, so Eric Berger has a, another article for us to talk about. Um, this one is about NASA and SpaceX trying to extend the life of the Hubble Space Telescope by another 15 to 20 years. Um, so what's going on? Well, the Hubble Space Telescope is in a relatively low orbit. And in order to extend its life, it has to be pushed into a higher orbit somehow. And so SpaceX and NASA are looking to at the possibility. It hasn't been decided yet, but they're looking at the possibility of sending a crewed Dragon capsule to the telescope, which is now thirty-two years old, and having the crew boost it to a higher orbit. This isn't the first time astronauts have worked on the Hubble Space Telescope. Famously, its mirrors were completely borked in the beginning, and they had to send up crews in the space shuttle of all things to go up and fix the Hubble Space Telescope. Um, And it's looking like they might be doing the same again, but this time for a much more mundane reason, which, as I stated, is to simply move it into a higher orbit so it can stay in orbit.
0: Is the Hubble Telescope still valuable or it's its picture is pictures still state of the art or what?
1: I, I'm yes, absolutely. The Hubble Space Telescope is still a, a wonderful telescope. Um I'm I'm surprised. Like th- since the Hubble Space Telescope, there's only been the James Webb Space Telescope as an alternative
0: space telescope. Well, I've heard that adaptive optics made ground-based telescopes be so much
1: better that it was hardly that's, needed. That's true, but I mean, there's still benefits to having a, a telescope in space. Um, what I mean, and, and yeah, just to extend it out, because I, th- I think the the end goal is to throw a telescope on the moon, on the far side of the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see. All right. That's not happening within the next 10 years. So if we want to keep a telescope in space, we either need to send up an all new one or maintain Hubble. Right. And I knew I'm going to take many years to build anyway. It would take many years. And like I said, I think the next big thing would be like a lunar giant lunar telescope. Yeah. I got to try something different.
0: Yep. All right. Well, on our theme of advanced technology, I've got buttfish. fish. Um, there, there, there's a huge scandal in the chess world. The reigning champion refused to participate in a game against his, a you know, very young opponent who has admitted to cheating in the past on the grounds that he is cheating. And now that AI is better at playing chess than humans, if a championship chess player could only get hints from an AI running on the internet, they could win. And they're accusing him of doing this by some secret hidden method. And the method that is popularly accused is that he has a computer-controlled butt plug, which is vibrating, giving him clues. And so naturally, um, the the... Uh, hacking community responded immediately by writing that software. That's what ButtFish is. It is the software that will control a butt plug and use Morse code to telegraph chess moves to you by this means. So I haven't tried it, but if anyone does try it out, let me know. I don't know if it works, but it sounds like a revolutionary step forward in cheating. And uh, it makes me think of all the uh, countries where they have huge problems cheating on tests, like here at West Point. And in Asian countries where your whole life depends on one test and people have all these exotic ways of cheating, I think this software might prove to be pretty popular. Anyway, let me move on to Ellen, who's got Russia's surveillance tape.
2: Yes, I'm looking forward to hearing more about this uh, buttfish technology. It sounds It may revolutionize things. <laughs> Absolutely. On a much more serious note, the New York Times has a rather lengthy multimedia uh, article on a data dump that DDoS Secrets uh, pulled off back in March, uh, shortly after Russia's uh, continued and renewed invasion of Ukraine. DDoS Secrets, which is famous for uh, aggregating or collecting, um, well, dumps of secrets, um, posted um, a huge dump from the Russia's um, regulator, Roskomnadzor, which uh, is responsible for regulating the internet, among other things there. And um, this dump is not for everything from Roskomnadzor. It's specific to a particular region, uh, or I should say republic, uh, Bashkortostan, torstan um, which is in the south-southwest of Russia. It's not autonomous. Um, it is It is a republic, but it is not autonomous. So it's part of the Russian Federation. And um, it's alarming Um, up to the point you realize that it is Russia, which is, of course, a dictatorship under Vladimir Putin. And Putin has leveraged all of the powers and resources of the government in order to suppress dissent. And there's quite a lot of it it over the years, although it's been mostly stamped out over the past decade. And uh, Roskomnadzor is an important part of that. It's the most important part of that when it comes to regulating speech online. And um, so this article goes over some of the methods that they've used, and in particular, the impact it's had on certain people. Uh, a number of Russian citizens who've been critical of the Putin regime have been drummed out of the country, intimidated or killed, uh, as the case may be.
0: Right. Pushed out of a window seems to be a popular way.
2: Yes. Quite a few people recently, mostly business people, uh, executives have had mysterious falls from hospital windows, have been found on the dead on their balconies, have taken tumbles downstairs. And it's all happened just within the past uh, six months since the invasion of Ukraine, renewed invasion of Ukraine. It's very peculiar. People who... Didn't seem to have any particular health or, or mental health issues prior to their untimely deaths.
0: Well, now I think you could argue that uh, criticizing Putin counts as a
2: mental health issue. Well, yeah. And <laughs> or not criticizing, issue. as the case may be. But at any rate, yes, this uh, Roskomnazord is not as uh, sophisticated as. Uh, China's uh, firewall, the so-called Great Firewall of China, uh, there's a lot more manual work that needs to be done. But apparently there are quite a few people working uh, at Roskomnadzor over now, and they are able to catch a lot of this uh, social media traffic in particular um, over Facebook and Twitter and Telegram and such. Um, and uh, now, of course, Uh, users in russia are blocked from accessing twitter and facebook but um there's still v V contact uh, and telegram and so uh and there's more dissent these days too especially with this latest mobilization call-up of a week ago Uh, more and more people are daring to uh, express some criticism and are even going so far as to call this uh invasion of war, which is illegal in Russia currently. Don't a lot of people just use VPNs to bunch through? Well, that requires a certain level of sophistication. And a lot of people don't have that, yeah. not just in Russia, but anywhere. Yeah.
0: But uh, do they have cameras everywhere?
2: And all that Well jazz? not like San Francisco. Yeah, that's what I wonder. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's mostly
0: just internet surveillance then.
2: That's right. That's right. Okay.
0: Well, let's go to Caitlin, who has the the top story, the end of the internet.
1: Or maybe it's going to be even better for the internet. (laughs) We'll see how this works. So the Atlantic has an article written by Charlie Warzel. And there is a ruling in Texas. It's called the NetChoice v. Paxton. And apparently the... There there was a ruling in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals saying that if you have a website with over 50 million active users, like posting content, you are no longer able to moderate that content, which is absolutely ridiculous and of course the grounds are on the you know right wing like you're censoring my free speech to you know harass people and spread lies you know but of course the servers belong to the companies or the individuals and they're allowed to put whatever they want on their servers or keep stuff not on their servers this is basic first amendment stuff how the 5th Circuit Court of Appeals managed to make this decision is mind boggling. This is, this is on, I mean, we're not talking about this as much as the uh, recent Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, but it's on that same level of what the hell are they thinking? Uh, This, this goes against every precedent in the uh, regarding First Amendment law and, and computers and the internet. The idea is that if you go on the internet, yeah, the internet is for everyone. It's a, quote unquote, free speech zone, but everyone can put on their own servers and have what they want and ha- and keep off what they don't want on their servers. So if Twitter wants to kick off all the Nazis, and they absolutely should, they can do that. They own the servers. Now, the Nazis can make their own servers and they could call it whatever they want. They could call it Stormfront. <laughs> Just saying, you know, and they could they could host their own Nazi stuff on their own Nazi servers. And and that's the way the Internet currently works. Um, Now, if this law becomes standardized and large services can no longer moderate content, this becomes, uh, as the article put it, a litigation DDoS attack <laughs> because YouTube, for example, would not be able to take down content that actively targets individuals uh, that actively, um, you know, spreads hate, that spreads lies about people, slander, uh, stuff like that. I mean, y- you might make the argument that, okay, like maybe if it's like terrorist or, or break some federal law, they might be able to take it down, but there's so many things that don't technically break the law that they can be, you know, sued over. Like I said, slander, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, spreading lies about the opponent, about your opponent, and of course, one of the big things that's going on is that our social media is being weaponized against our against the public by you know foreign agents so they would have no way to stop like china or and russia from like interfering with our elections and stuff like that i mean it's just it is a nightmare i have no idea why this is happening but but the the reason i now this article says this is the end of the internet i'm thinking this could be awesome for the internet actually because what would happen is that um the internet would simply just go back to like the pre web 2.0 era where you would no longer be able to like post videos on just YouTube. If you wanted to post videos on the internet, you would have to get your own website, (laughs) you know, post your own stuff, have your own blog, not let anyone else post on it. It would actually kind of be kind of awesome. Now that I think about it. So,
0: well, uh, I'm glad to see us returning to our lanes here. I can now take the fascist side. You know, this is not completely insane. And it used to be the law that in any public medium, if you presented a political view, you had to present the opposite view and give it equal time. And that was removed, I think, in the eighties.
1: So this is
0: the internet, which is about, and the big issue. has been all along, whether the internet is subject to FCC rules.
1: No. Well, the thing is, th- th- this is a private server.
0: Well, right. but that's the point of the 50 million thing. They, their argument is, and I think it's a fair argument, that after the time an time internet social network gets big enough, it becomes a public service like the uh, old three networks used to be. And perhaps there should be some laws regulating who you're allowed to kick off. I mean, I, I'm I'm not in favor of this because it's all about Donald Trump. And I don't know why they don't just write a law specifically naming Donald Trump. But, um, but it's not completely insane. To say you would not allow, um, after a network gets big enough, it then becomes a public square and you now enforce some uh, rules on it like this.
1: It's a private server. It's always been a private server. I mean, I would understand those laws regarding things like the FCC website, which is owned by the public right and the the fcc okay you could you could argue that yeah it's a public website anyone's allowed to post on there whatever but when you have private businesses and like i can, like when i own i own my house yes it's on technically on government land you could say the government is anything within the you know, United States, but it's my private property. I can have anything, I can choose what is in my private property. Even if it becomes very popular, even if I have all my friends over, I can still choose who comes in, who gets to speak, you know, et cetera. I kick them out if if they're being rambunctious. It's my property.
0: No, no, I don't agree at all. At a certain point, especially since we don't enforce antitrust laws anymore, you become, for example, if you want to advertise anything, you have to use Facebook or go broke. That's it. They, they dominate it to that extent, and Amazon dominates sales, and Twitter dominates politics to an incredible extent, where Donald Trump won largely because of Twitter. Um, so, I mean, I think, and the same thing is true if you if you make a car and you only sell a few of them, you know, just, once, you, once you become the standard, like a monopoly, then the government feels a need to limit what you can do. And that I think that's fair.
1: I, okay, so I think I think we're veering a little bit off course because I agree, uh, laws and regulations are very important. You know, obviously, like I said, I own my property. I cannot turn my property into a nuclear waste disposal site, you know, yeah. because that would endanger people around me, right? Um, but we're talking very specifically about you know First Amendment laws and well, and how that applies. Twitter and
0: Facebook is what this is about.
1: This is, yeah, this is all about Twitter and Facebook. But this this is all only about we're only talking about First Amendment laws. Uh, and so yes, absolutely. Oh, well, the know, First Amendment face-
0: doesn't apply, and so they're trying to write another law that would apply.
2: Well, the first. Well, of, well the, oh, go on, Alan. I I want to I want to step in here because um, this ruling seems to have forgotten about Citizens United. And if you'll recall, Citizens United, in effect, ruled that the Supreme Court in Citizens United, in effect, ruled that um, corporations are people and they have First Amendment rights. And so that, for that reason, corporations, companies are able to contribute to political campaigns, for example, because they have the First Amendment rights that oh. are uh, afforded to individuals also. So well, why you, doesn't that apply to this case?
0: Well, you know, it might, but there's another issue, which is the First Amendment was only intended to protect speech. And it was only, I think, in 65 that they declared that the First Amendment protected your right not to speak. And that is sort of an extrapolation from the amendment, very much like the extrapolation that led to Roe versus Wade. And I wonder if the Supreme Court would overturn it.
2: Well, I have nothing to say to that. Like it I, like, it like does like a, seem
1: awfully contradictory. Yeah, like I like I said, this this really contradicts every. And I'm not a lawyer, so I can't. I'm i don't take my take my word with a grain of salt. But everything I know about First Amendment cases, which tend to be very popularly known, uh, that this ruling basically ignores all precedent. <laughs> and- yeah, yeah,
0: it's interesting. I think what they want is just to restore the equal time provision, which was legal
1: and enforced through the 70s, but um- Anyway, but it- keep, keep, yeah, keep in mind too that the the reason the the equal well, first of all, I would, I'm not for the equal time provision that just gets abused, uh, but the reason why like the FCC would regulate such a thing or they regulate the airwaves is because the airwaves belong to everyone. Uh, you, you when you broadcast from a tower, you are using. I'm going to say yeah, bandwidth, right? Radio waves that citizens can no longer use, right? And it's traveling through everyone's bedrooms, everyone's bodies, you know, it's traveling everywhere. And, you know, and therefore the it, it belongs to the public. Uh, what happens on a server is strictly belongs to whoever owns the server. I, I, I think
0: in reality, Facebook and Twitter are so pervasive and dominant that they're like the public airwaves now. Even if there's a but technical difference, there's not a difference in their effect on society.
1: It, it, they are like cable TV, which once again, is not sub, that's why cable TV is not subject to FCC rules.
0: Okay. By the way, I'm reminded of something else. The fascist woman that just won in Italy, she won because they had an equal time law and she carefully refused to join the coalition. So the result of the equal time law was that she would get a lot of time she couldn't afford to buy on the media to promote her fascism. So that's... A- you can game any system.
2: I've, well, just, I've, yeah, go I've just read an article on Wikipedia, and so I'm now a newly minted art, uh, expert. And this equal time rule that you're referring to, Sam, applies to political candidates, competing yeah. political candidates. Yeah. Not larger political statements or expressions of political views or ideology. Well, sure, but this was all about Donald Trump getting kicked off Twitter. Well, that may be true in that case, but we're talking very specifically about political messages originating directly from the political campaign of a candidate. Oh, sure. And that is what that is exactly what this is
0: motivated by. It's motivated by Donald Trump and other right wingers feeling like they have been kicked off of Twitter and Facebook unjustly (laughs) and YouTube.
2: Uh, Yes. Now, but setting aside the special case of Donald Trump, who is still very much an aberration in some ways, if it, I, if I you have messaging that's not directly from a campaign, then that would not be um, that would not fall under the equal time rule.
0: Well, sure, but they're trying to write a new one anyway. I, I think what they're trying to do is not completely insane. Um, it is something that has been done. Ver- versions of it have happened before. When in the equal time law, the equal time law that, is very much the same thing.
1: But as Alan pointed out, the equal time law only was very constrict constricted. To political campaigns so that's the, all they want no they they would say that they the youtube you know any social media platform cannot moderate their content oh, anymore well,
0: well i agree this law is, is a bit too overreaching yeah
1: now in, if if you were going to say they want to reinstate the equal time law so if donald trump wanted to post something if if one political candidate wants to post something on a social media platform, you have to let all the political candidates post there. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that could be discussed. That's
0: not far from what Twitter did. What Twitter did was ban all political ads to avoid taking a side.
1: Right. But if you do have politicians on Twitter and they are, and you let's say only allow Democrats on your popular sites, which is
0: exactly what the Republicans feel like is happening.
1: That that could, you know, I I could understand why, you know, you would just for the sake of public discourse, say, hey, let's not if you're going to have, you know, politicians, you know, either let all the politicians on your social media site or none of them on. Yeah. You know, but none of this, none of this, you don't have a right to moderate your stuff anymore. That is ridiculous.
0: That's true. But but, uh, you know, like, as usual, there is there is something. Going on here that has some logic behind it.
1: Anyway. Well, the the logic is that there are a lot of people, and I've seen this over and over again. They do something totally outrageous, like they'll they'll say things like, "I think that the gays are bad," right? And then all of a sudden, people get mad at them and cancel them, and they're like, "I'm the victim. I'm the victim," well, and yeah. and that's what's going on. This is this is the end result of that is that that I'm being censored for making hate speech, and it's like. You know, this is this is what they want. They want to be able to just make say whatever they want without consequences, which yeah. is not how the world works.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, in our current time, especially on the right, they exaggerate everything to a cartoonish extreme. But uh, all right, anyway. So um, there's so they had this dart uh, program where they rammed this spacecraft into an asteroid to deflect it. And the uh, early imp- imp- uh, indications are that it created a much bigger crater and a lot more sh- shrapnel and dust than they expected. So one interpretation of that I'm reading in places like fizz.org are that uh, apparently this is more effective than anticipated. And that you could see as good news, saying apparently our ability to deflect a meteor is more powerful than we had expected. So we'll know in the next several weeks as they monitor the orbit. But they said they only expected to make like a 10-meter crater and knock a little dust off this uh, asteroid. But they think they might have actually knocked a large chunk of it off completely, which is, um, so that's good. I think that's uh, perhaps a good sign. that uh, Our current technology may be capable of deflecting large asteroids even more than we expected. Anyway, then Alan's got uh, COVID again.
2: Yep. Coming back to COVID yet again. And a Twitter thread from a fellow with the Twitter handle of solid evidence. So, you know, it's trustworthy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but this is a fellow by the name of Mark Johnson. He's a molecular virologist and professor. So at the University of Missouri. So I think he's probably a little bit more reliable than your average Twitter commentator. And it's a very interesting Twitter thread. Um because he's looking at sewer sheds. This is the focus of his research, apparently. He's looking at sewer sheds, which is the sewer equivalent to a watershed, and doing a lot of monitoring of the sewage for um, COVID and sequencing the different COVID strains. This is one of the wonders of biotechnology these days, is that not only can you detect tiny trace amounts of Uh, viral particles in the sewage, but you can even sequence it to figure out, well, which strains or which variants of COVID are circulating within a population that contributes to the sewer shed. And uh, in this Twitter thread, he talks about how um, about a year and a half ago, they detected some interesting mutations, uh, lineages, COVID lineages, or SARS-CoV-2 lineages that were unknown, that had not been documented previously, and that showed some very peculiar mutations. And initially, as he explains, he thought that these must've been uh, from animals because animals of course are an important reservoir of viruses and diseases. And sometimes um, those viruses will mutate differently in an animal than they would in a human, and then eventually it will spill back into the human population and it goes from there. That's how we ended up with SARS-CoV-COVID in the first place, because some animals were carrying it. Anyway, um, he, along with some colleagues in different places such as Wisconsin and New York, continued to monitor these interesting uh, strains that carry these particular mutations in different places and came to find by working their way closer and closer to the source that the mutations were originating from just a small set of bathrooms, in particular in Wisconsin. And so they were able to trace one of these rather obscure lineages that had some alarming mutations back to almost to a person's house. And so what he concludes from this is that there are, in fact, a number of people who have ongoing COVID infections, uh, an active infection in their gut, and they're continuing to shed. And their immune system is attempting to fight off COVID, but is failing to do so. They remain infected throughout. And what's happening is that these people, presumably, are vaccinated and they do have, they are able to mount a, a, an immune response, but the virus is able to out-evolve, out-mutate the person's immune system. And so the virus is developing certain traits that make it more immune-evasive, not only to the person with that infection, but ultimately to other people too. That doesn't mean that <clears throat> in every one of these cases, like in Wisconsin, that there's a new outbreak of a new variant of concern. But what uh, Mark Johnson uh, outlines in this Twitter thread is that there are in fact a number of different variants that seem to be exhibiting uh, a convergence in their evolution, that all these different variants are finding particular sites on their spike protein, where if they just make the virus and make a little tweak here, a little tweak there, then they're able to evade an immune response. And so, this is also a way for scientists to predict which variants may have greater success in the future. So we've seen BA four, BA five. We've seen a comeback of BA two with 275. And interestingly, um, the all of these different variants have some attributes, certain um, uh, certain locations on the spike proteins that are helpful to further spread. And then uh, he goes on to uh, I- identify certain variants such as BA, uh, BW1, BS1, BR2, and also BQ11 that um, are similar to previous Omicron variants, but have a few key mutations in their spike proteins that make them more immune evasive than even Say BA4, BA5, and BA275. And so it's an interesting case of how the virus is continuing to evolve and evolve rapidly, and the mechanism by which it's doing so, and how all of these different variants are converging on certain uh, mutations at particular locations on the uh, spike protein.
0: So you're suggesting that COVID is not over yet. Uh, well, no, apparently Contradicting not. our and fearless are... leader. Pardon? Contradicting our fearless leader. How,
2: yes, contradicting our leader, indeed. And in fact, thanks to sewer shed monitoring, it looks like COVID is starting to pick up again in some places like uh, in the Boston area. So, and And this is to be expected because it's fall, soon to be winter. And in colder climates, people are going to be indoors more. And so that's more opportunity for COVID to spread. And I don't see a lot of people wearing masks, even here in health conscious San Francisco. So even you know, at the it's, college it's where they're
0: supposed to. Pardon? Even at the college, when I walk around, half the students have no masks.
2: Yeah. And the, the uh, campus police aren't bothering to enforce. So yeah. that's where we are now.
0: Well, from what I've heard, there is no mask mandate anymore.
2: There isn't any mask mandate in hospitals anymore either. Yeah, right, for hospitals. But I thought there was still a mandate at City College.
0: I don't think anybody knows. Uh,
2: Well, there's not much organization at the college. I got a very grumpy email about this. And uh, so at least as of a few weeks ago, there was still something in place.
0: Yeah, it could be. All right. Um,
1: All right. And so Caitlin has got Facebook. Yeah. Well, actually, I have the Chinese on Facebook, which is even better. (laughs) Always a good thing. So Jessica Guin Guin, uh, has an article on fizz.org talking about how Facebook and other social media networks are seeing an influx of new Chinese campaigns to influence American elections. Uh, So what happened is that Meta and a few other social media Giants like uh, Instagram uh, and Twitter uh, took down just a few uh, Chinese-based ac- based social media accounts that were trying to inflame citizens. Uh, it wasn't like one side or the other. Um, they would, you know, enrage the the liberals by saying, "Oh, the Republicans are trying to take away, you know, your." Right to an abortion, and you're—they want to take away everyone's rights, and then, you know, they'll they'll then post to the, you know, conservatives that the liberals are trying to indoctrinate your kids about race and everything, and, and I mean, I, I assume I, I don't have access to them, but you know, they would just say things that you know in, that infuriate the other side and just build up tension and division. And what's interesting is that this isn't anything new. Uh, Russia has been doing this for a while. Uh, but it looks like China is starting to look into this as well. Um, so that is, that is something very concerning. Um, and in fact, I, I've, I've been seeing this a lot. Uh, I, I unfortunately, I'm not going to say how this happened, but I, I ended up in a conversation uh, with a conspiracy theorist um, and somehow this conspiracy theorist was, it comes from the Midwest you know believes that you know the government's out to get you and everything like that but thinks putin is the greatest person in the world and ukraine is is totally at fault and they were up to something bad cuz putin is is so great and he would never do anything to ukraine without good reason and i'm like like you've been targeted <laughs> you are the exact person these people are targeting for this stuff um and it and it it works it gets people um, who would, who would never think in a thousand years would, you know, advocate for America's enemies? To be advocating for America's enemies, I mean, it, it's it's ridiculous. And then, then, of course, the other big thing, of course, is that they want to just sow division, so there's a lot of political strife in the United States. And if there's enough political strife, it can lead to things like the January 6th insurrection. Uh, so it's it's a it's a good weapon uh, that they're using, and it looks like China is getting in on the action it's pretty bad if China is
0: doing it because, I mean, China in the past just tried to influence statements made about China. If they're down to just trying to tear down our society entirely, that's a new level
1: of hostility. Right. Yeah. So previously China was on social media and they would put out statements trying to make China look good. Right. And complaining um,
0: about anybody that criticized China, which right. is, you know, more understandable.
1: Which is which is understandable. Um but this is but the, it it appears that they're at, at the very least looking into or experimenting with systems to drive division imitating russia correct
0: yeah not good at all and probably having to do with uh re reelection and taiwan
1: i imagine so i imagine this has a lot to do with taiwan actually yeah well anyway
0: um Cloudflare has a new captcha intending to be on an alternative to Google's captcha. And the idea of this one is that it will not make you choose the pictures of a lion or all those crazy things. It will just subtly detect whether you are human or not by measuring subtle things like how you're moving the mouse or something. And Google has supposedly had an option to use that kind of captcha for a while, but all of us are still seeing a ton of the old fashioned captchas. And uh, so hopefully Cloudflare's captcha will be less annoying It is, in fact, very irritating to me and my students and everybody to constantly be trying to read twisted letters or find the pictures of something that are hard to see to prove that you're human. And uh, Cloudflare is the next big company to get in the act and say they have a better way. And I hope it's true. Anyway, and uh, finally, Alan has Serving the Dark
1: Lords.
2: Yes, probably one of the best scientific paper titles I've ever come across, uh, Shall we serve the dark lords, a meta-analytic review of psychopathy and leadership? It's become something of a cliche these days to say that um, successful CEOs of corporations are psychopaths. You hear this repeated again and again in the popular press. And uh, yet there hasn't been much proper um, analysis of this, But although there have been a number of studies. And so the authors of this study which was incidentally published in 2018, so it's not exactly breaking news. Uh, They decided to perform a meta-analysis of a number of different uh, studies of leadership um, and leaders to find out whether this is in fact the case, whether uh, psychopathic tendencies are actually advantageous to somebody in a corporate leadership position. And it does actually make some sense because... Well, what, is, what are some of the characteristics of psychopathy? Um, an inability to empathize with others. Um, I, uh, sometimes very gifted uh, psychological manipulation skills. Um, a attitude where the ends justify the means, whatever those means may be. And so um, psychopathy can lead to very antisocial behaviors, um, which uh, may or may not uh, uh, result in violence, as is often in the public imagination, but can be. And so these these traits, you would think, are very advantageous to running a corporation. You don't want to empathize with the employees, you want to exploit them. Uh, You should be very charming, because you need to manipulate people into believing in your company or in yourself. Uh, just think of the reality distortion field around Steve Jobs. Not to say that Steve Jobs was psychopathic, not at all. Um, and in business, the ends always justify the means, it seems. the co- a company's only reason for being is to make money, at least in the eyes of some. And so this leads to all kinds of corporate malfeasance, uh, embezzlement, or stealing, or tax evasion, or pollution, the list goes on and on and on. So what this uh, uh, meta-analysis actually concludes is that psychopathic behaviors uh, or psychopathy and leadership do not mix, they do not go together. and that uh, if if anything, there is um a deleterious effect on an organization by having uh, a leader with uh, psychopathic tendencies. So yeah, hopefully correlations the correlations that's right. Yeah. yeah. and and we we need to be careful here in that. Uh, studies of the, all the all the all the different studies that were used for this meta-analysis. You know, there's a lot of speculation involved, shall we say? Uh, how can you really perform a full psych, psychiatric uh, evaluation uh, and analysis of a person who's just uh, responding to what's essentially a questionnaire? Um, but there's still some value in this, and there have been a number of different studies that, that looked at this um so hopefully the study can can put to rest all these uh uh articles about psychopathy and ceos and uh can also get us away from the idea that uh, leaders corporate leaders need to be just grossly exploiting people and that there is in fact good reason to show some empathy and uh um humanity shall we say to employees
0: yeah Well, one thing uh, about the title that made me uh, was interested to hear about is that Tolkien is very popular among the Italian fascists, and they regard it as not fiction, and they quote it often, and uh, they see it as uh, somehow emblematic of their system, which is something I'd like to look into more. The Lord of the Rings is quoted and such.
2: That's an interesting point. I wasn't aware that the uh, uh, Italian fascists had such an interest in Tolkien, but um yeah. peter thiel does and palantir the company palantir that that word palantir is some seeing that's right. stone that's yes, from...
0: the american fascist yeah
2: yeah yeah so there are some some interesting overlaps there
0: well and, and you think about tolkien it's all pretty much uh praising uh british imperialism i suppose i mean you look at it that way
2: oh uh, yes yes and also there's quite a lot of interest tolkien himself was a um a comparative linguist and did quite a lot of uh, actually groundbreaking research into um, um, a proto-indo-european language the language from which uh, just about all western european languages eastern european languages for that matter descended um, along with uh, well a whole bunch of different languages in central and south asia too so uh, uh Uh, These studies in Proto-Indo-European are, of course, interesting to linguists, but also fascinating to uh, fascists and Nazis, among others. Um, That's how Nazism ended up using the swastika, is in part because of this fascination with uh, uh, proto indo european and Indo-Aryan. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, that's it for this one. And we're going to do the next one on Wednesday instead of Tuesday. Farewell.